If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to 1 John. 1 John, it's towards the back of your Bible, so it is, the author is his own name. It's John the Apostle who wrote the book of John as well, the Gospel John, which we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is kind of a unique uh, story frame that he takes from a different angle, but still the story of who Jesus is and what he has done. But we come to his letters. He wrote these letters later in life. I mean, towards the end of his life. These are, these are several years past the resurrection, past the stories that we find in the Gospels and the one that we're studying in the book of Mark. But in 1 John, we get some amazing theology, and it's a study, as I studied for it this week, and actually the past month or so, it made me want to be like, why am I not just preaching this whole book? Like, let's just, instead, like, that's what I prefer anyways, and it was like, man, what am I doing? But I'm going to try to cover chapter 1 today. Uh, it is a short chapter, it's only 10 verses, uh, but they are some powerful verses indeed uh, this morning. And really what I want to talk about today is it's on the, I think it's on the screen behind me, living in the light with others. And this is this picture of community that we started last week. And you might have been like, well, you talked about community last week. <laughs> really? Well, sort of. <laughs> last week we talked about coming from death to life in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10 as well, the first 10 verses of Ephesians. Another good book to study, not just look at one chapter of or one section of. But in that book, in that, what we were, our premise behind it last week was, listen, first, to even be in gospel-centered community, to be in community is more than just being a part of a club. It's more than being a part of a society at college or being a part of a collective group of people. There's, there's more to it. And first, you can't just get in on your own. You can't join community. You need to be brought into community. You need to be brought into relationship, and that's a death-to-life moment. It's God taking dead souls and breathing life into them. And that's what we looked at last week, and that is what brings us into the family of God. But then today, what I want to do is look at what does it look like to live in the light with other people? And specifically, we're going to focus on one word today and look at it. It's a word that we see in this book of 1 John. It's the word called fellowship. It's a word that me growing up, all I, I grew up uh, in a Baptist church, and all I knew what fellowship mean was it meant food. <laughs> like, if you, if you grew up in a Baptist church, you're like, a fellowship was gathering with, to eat some food. It wasn't, you know, they didn't really, in the church I grew up, they didn't really say potluck. They were like, it's fellowships. A fellowship after church, bring your food, all this kind of stuff. And you're like, so growing up for me, fellowship just meant it's a gathering of people after a church service or on a Sunday night or something, and we're going to eat some food together. And so... The question that I was always wondering is like, what is fellowship? It's not really a word that we use that much. The, word, the only other time outside of church that I really hear that word is still a churchy type word is fellowship of Christian athletes, FCA. Uh, and again, it's that word of fellowship. And this morning, I want us to see what, how beautiful of a word this is. It really is a plain word, though, in the Greek text. It's just koinonia. You may have even heard that probably before from a pastor or someone before using the, the phrase koinonia. It's this simple word that really means like you share something in common. So it can be a very broad 
word. It could be used to like, all right, well, for me, for instance, playing baseball growing up, like I shared commonalities with teams. And so naturally, even when I was in college and playing baseball, I hung out with the baseball team. Why? Because we had a lot of things in common. Our schedules were in common, our desires, our our skill, all those kind of things. We, we, we had the shared uh, joys in those kind of things. And so there's this mutual sharing uh, of some, something in common. And this is really what this word means, but it's way deeper when it's used in Scripture. We're going to see this in a second. I'm going to read this passage of Scripture in just a second. But to help us understand, it's more than just a shared activity. Like we have fellowship because we do art or something. Maybe some of you, like, you like art, and so naturally you have some, some commonalities and things. But uh, for me, and what I understood it was, is, like, I just thought it meant food. But I like how Piper, John Piper, put it this way. He said, fellowship is a mutual bond that Christians have with Christ that puts us in a deep, eternal relationship with one another. And you might be like, well, how did you get, how does he get that kind of definition from such a plain word of just meaning a common, uh, a common connection, since it's such a, a generic type of word, even in the Greek? Well, I want you to see it as we look at this passage. So if you have a Bible, again, 1 John chapter 1, I'm going to read all the way through to verse 10. Listen to his opening to this letter. It's pretty remarkable. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. There's our word this morning, fellowship. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship, there's our word again, fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... What a wonderful verse here. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If you might can already tell, fellowship must mean something pretty significant. When we have a word used here, for one, if you look at verse 3 again, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Well, what does it mean to have fellowship with these apostles? And they're saying not just a fellowship with us, notice the rest of it. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. How can we have anything in common with the Father and the Son? How can we possibly ever be connected to this God of all ages that we were just singing about? 
And as he goes on to say, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. But notice, but what happens is if we're not doing that, we don't have, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So what does it mean to have fellowship with the God of all ages? You see, fellowship is more than what we've already been talking about. If you think of it this way, in Genesis, we're going to see there's three phrases, and John does this. Again, I would love to, to walk, maybe we'll do that someday, to walk through this whole book together. It's a wonderful book. But in this book, what, this is the only time that he really used the word fellowship is in these few verses, three to seven. He uses that word multiple times, about four times he uses it, and it's the only time he uses the letter. Later, as you walk through the letter, he's going to talk about knowing God and having relationship with Him through this. Like, if you say you know the Father, if you say you know God, and you are living in sin, you don't know Him. You're not walking. He's going to use the word walking with God. He's going to use the word knowing God, and he's also using the word fellowship with God. So what do these three statements mean? I think... Scripture helps us. In Genesis, we learn that Enoch walked with God. The Bible tells us also that Noah walked with God. God asked Abraham in Genesis 17 to walk before me. Micah 6.8 says, we are called to walk humbly with your God. Even in Jeremiah 31, in this great prophecy in Jeremiah 31 about the new covenant, God says, I will be their God and they shall know me. Here's this phrase, about, this phrase about knowing God. So we have walking with God, we have this phrase knowing God, and we have this phrase fellowship with God. But what I want you to see this morning is there is a significant difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There is a significant difference, and the difference is, is pretty plain. The difference is there's facts that you can know about God, but yet be far, 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 far from Him. I think Tim Keller explained this well for me, helped, really helped me in this area. Um, and he basically said there are two things needed. He says one is this, there's a heart experience that we need. We need, it's a heart experience. It's something that it's not just here. It's not just something that we know. You can know facts about God, but if they never connect to the heart, that means nothing for you. It does nothing. There's no benefit for you of knowing things about God. What is meant here is that you can know facts about God. You can know who Jesus is. You can agree with the songs we were singing earlier, the anthems, the creeds, the important creeds like the Apostles' Creed and others, the Nicene Creed, and many other great statements of faith. You can memorize our statement of faith for Redeemer. But knowledge of God doesn't bring fellowship with God. So what is it that is, in our first point this morning, is what is the foundation of fellowship. And I want, I want to explain that this is what Tim Keller was saying. He's saying, first, it starts with a heart experience. It starts with something that comes from knowledge, but it becomes down to the heart. And this is what he's saying. He says two things. He says, one, it's heart experience, but he says, it's great. People can be a mystic, right? And have these great experience. What they would say is experiences with God. And, oh, I've come to to believe, or God spoke to me, and he said that, you know, like you've ever heard this one, <laughs> I remember hearing this one during the uh, college years of, God spoke to me last night, and he said that you're to be my wife. 
And you're like, oh, really? God didn't speak to me that way. He might have spoke to you, but he didn't speak to me that way, right? Like, you might can say, oh, God said this to me, or God has done this. You might say I had these experiences, but what he points out is, but what happens is it becomes an objective truth. You see, this hard experience is based on fact. It's based on a truth. It's not just a random heart experience like, oh, God, man, I had this experience with God and it just, it moved my heart. Like maybe it was the, maybe it was the, the pads in worship or maybe it was the, 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 the chord progression that moved me. But did God actually move you? How do you know it's God and not your own heart's desire that wants something? How do you know that it's an experience with God? It, it has to become from an objective truth. And you're saying, what is that truth? Look back at our Bibles, 1 John chapter 1. Look at the very first verses. Notice what this foundation of a fellowship, a relationship of knowing God and walking with God. I'm trying to use these words interchangeably. Where it comes from, notice in verse 1. This is John the Apostle, a follower of Jesus, one who walked with God on earth. Here's what he says. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, notice these words, we've heard him, we have seen with our eyes, we looked upon, and notice this, they touched him. Concerning who? This word of life. What is this word of life? The life was made manifest, it's revealed, it's becoming known. The God who is invisible, the invisible God made visible. This is Colossians 1. I want to read that to you because I think it's so profound, as Paul says it in Colossians 1. In Colossians 1, listen to this in verse, verse 15. This is Paul's great statements about who Jesus is. What's his identity, this identity that we've been looking at in the book of Mark? Here's what Paul says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, meaning he is not just like he was in front of, he is over all things because he has the preeminence. He says he's before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the sustainer of life. Everything exists because of God. And who is this God? It is God, the Word of God. It is Jesus Christ made visible. The invisible God that we can't see, the Spirit that you're like, who is this God? Who is this one who creates all things? Who is this that sustains all things? What is God like? How do we know what God is like? We know what He's like because Jesus came. And Jesus took He is God. He takes on flesh. And all of a sudden, with the veiling of flesh, but yet still Godhead there, we get to see what God is actually like. The image, as he says here, the image of the invisible God. Paul continues, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the full... No, no, listen to this. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell... And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You say, what is this hard experience? You see, this hard experience has to first come from a place that it comes from an objective truth. And 1 John 1 is telling us 
John is saying, we've heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've touched Jesus, the eternal, the, the eternal word, the word of God made visible. Notice some of these words that are used. They're deep, eternal. It's this mutual bond with Christ. If you keep reading the rest of the book, you will see John use the word knowing God and walking with God. And how I'm saying all three of these terms are interchangeable. And John is saying, do you have this deep, intimate relationship with God? John is saying, we, in verse 3, look at verse 3, he's proclaiming that which we have seen and heard, here's what we do. This is the first actual verb, it's this one huge sentence in the Greek. And here's our first real word of action verb here. We proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. See, John is saying we have the fellowship, this fellowship, this relationship, this knowing God, and we want you to have it too. Complete our joy by being in fellowship with God and us. But this can seem abstract, can it? It seems still maybe for some of you it may seem foreign. You're like, well, what? I hear you, but I don't know if I have a relationship with God. I think I I hear you, and I think I know a lot of facts about God. But what does a relationship with God look like? Well, I want us to transition now to the character of fellowship. The character of fellowship. Notice in verse 5 what John is saying. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. Again, still this foundational truth of who God is. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Notice first the negative, that there's a false fellowship. There was obviously in John's day, there was a very, a very, very, very rich opposition to this gospel. There were people who were claiming to be Christians, claiming to be followers of Christ, but yet were not having fellowship with God. They were outside of relationship with Him. Their, their doctrine wasn't just off. Their belief about Jesus was off. And so John is obviously responding to these people, and he's saying, listen, if you say you have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we're lying, not to the people, but you're also lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself, and you're lying to the world, and you don't practice the truth. So what is he saying here? You see, the character of fellowship It comes from a a walking in the light. And when we talk about this idea of community, listen, we can fake community all day, right? You can fake a relationship. You can pretend to say, like, I have a good relationship with your your best friend. You call them, you know, you call your your friend your best friend and all these things. And do you know that person and do they really know you? I mean, it'd be like me saying, like, you know, me me and LeBron James, we're we're cool. We're on the same level. We're good friends, you know, all this stuff. We hang out. (laughs) Not. All those things would be lies. I don't hang out with them. But I would say, like, oh, I know him, right? Like, I, I mean, I've watched a lot of his games. Uh, I've watched, a, I watched a most, almost pretty much his whole career, I've watched a lot of it because he was always on primetime TV. And so I get to watch him all the time and get to watch him and Steph Curry and all these guys. And I can be like, man, I know them. 
But what gives me the authority to say, I know them? I can say, I know about them. But they would look at me and be like, who is Eric Hill? They don't know this guy from Adam. I'd be like, man, I grew up in Charlotte, Steph, me and you. We're like, we're, like, we're homeboys. Like, we grew up together. You know, he went to Charlotte Christian. I went to Northside Christian. Like, we were, we were uh, but I'm a lot older, so we didn't ever play each other, you know. <laughs> that would have been pretty cool if I got to actually play against Steph Curry uh, and watch him make 100 points and us score zero points. But it would have been pretty cool. You know, we grew up in the same town. I could be like, oh, yeah, man, we have same, we grew up in the same area, all those things and all this stuff. But he would be like, I don't know you, and he would not give me the time of day. I don't know him. And what John is trying to say is, listen, you can talk like you know him. You can talk like you know God. But are you walking in the way that he walked? Are you walking in the light? Are you in Christ? This phrase that we see often in Ephesians. Are you in Christ and are you walking in this light? You see, there's a false fellowship. It's a false fellowship that talks a big game but doesn't walk in the ways of Christ. But verse 7 tells us the positive. It says what true fellowship looks like. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship not only with God, but with one another. Have you ever find yourself wanting to walk in the dark? You don't want to be noticed. You don't want to be recognized. You don't want to be seen. Uh, my, and if you're a parent of a toddler, preschooler, if you remember when you were once there, if not, you know how we want to hide our bad decisions, or we want to deceive people, and we want to keep those things. I, I think of my daughter, Graceland. Graceland has a lot of bad habits um, that we are trying to help her through. It's very difficult uh, with her childhood and growing, growing up in an orphanage, but um, but Grace, there's this, it's so interesting to watch with a, a young child who wants to do the wrong thing because they want to do something. And you know, they've heard dad or mom say, don't, like, stop doing whatever that is. You know, stop doing this bad behavior, this, this thing that's going to be harmful to you or to others. Stop. And so what does she do? She, she's like, okay, daddy. Okay, daddy. And then, so then she runs upstairs and she closes her door. Why does she close her door? Because she wants to continue doing that thing that she knows that I've said not to do. So she goes and closes her door thinking that she's hiding from me and that she's going to do this. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an idiot. Like, I know what she's doing. And so I go into her room and I go open the door. And she looks at me. All of a sudden, she was doing the thing that I told her not to do. And she's looking at me. Bye, Daddy. <laughs> she looks me in the eyes. And she's like, bye, Daddy. Bye, Daddy. Like, like leave so I can continue to do what I want to do because I don't want you to see it. I want to continue to do that. But listen, as adults, we do the same thing. There's certain things that we struggle with and wrestle with through sin and all these different habits or bad decisions that we make, and we want to hide those things. We want to walk in the dark, and we want to keep those things hidden so that we can continue to do what we want to do or continue to to pursue that, that habit or that struggle or that addiction, and we keep going after it. And what do we do? We hide it. We go to the dark. We, we don't want to, because what does light do? Light exposes. It exposes us, and it exposes our hearts. It shows us what's really there. The light shines. 
The Bible describes Jesus as the light of the world. John does this in John 1. And he says, the, the light overcomes and the darkness could not overcome it. Meaning, the darkness couldn't capture, couldn't squelch the light that Christ brings. It brings light, right? Listen, darkness is only the absence of light. So, light can't be stopped by darkness. Lightness just dispels darkness. So, why do we keep living in our sin? It's because we may not have fellowship with God. That's what John's saying. We may not have fellowship with God because we're walking in the dark. We're trying to hide our sin. We're trying to live in our sin. And we're saying, God, I know what you say, but I want to do what I want to do. Remember that line from the song we were singing earlier? I'm going to hold all of you to it because I heard you all sing it. I'm just kidding. It says, beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Is that true? When you're living in sin, when you're, I mean, I, listen, I, let me just pause for a second. I, I, I know I feel like I'm preaching down, and I'm not. I'm, I'm thinking in my own heart. That's why I am thankful for a beautiful Savior. I'm thankful for this great mercy. I'm thankful for this grace, because my heart is desperately wicked, too, and it wants things that don't belong to me. They're not, it's not my authority to take. I jump in front of God and I say, God, I think this is what I need. And what am I doing? I'm saying, I know what's best. You don't know what's best. That's not fellowship. That's not mutual bond. That's not relationship. That's saying, I am going to get in the way of this relationship. I want this instead of you. I'm not saying I'm yours forever. I'm saying I'm yours when it is convenient for me. And here this character of fellowship looks like is there's this false fellowship where it's like, hey, if we say we have fellowship with God, oh, I, I'm a Christ follower, I love God, I have a relationship with God, but what does he say? While we walk in darkness, we're lying, and we don't practice the truth. But, verse 7, the positive, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is remarkable. We step into the light of His truth. We step into the light. He, his light is, is this picture of purity, it's perfection, but it's also an exposing, it's a revealing. In Scripture, um, David, when he's talking about this, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. It, his word is a guide to us. It's also a guiding, it's truth. It exposes, it reveals. This is why Jesus, John loves to use the word, the word, word, when he talks about God. He says He's the word who became flesh. He's the revelation. He's revealing. He's bringing light and light to our path. He's revealing himself to us. But when we're walking in sin and we're living in sin, we're walking in the darkness. And listen, can I, can I tell you this? This is what we need in our church is authenticity. We don't need fake, phony all my life is together. I'm a great person. I've got it. I'm doing great and all this stuff. No. What we need is to expose. We need to reveal our wicked hearts and we need one another. How can we have this kind of fellowship? We have this fellowship by walking in the light. How do we walk in the light? We reveal. We're saying, listen, I'm an open book. 
Man, listen, one of the greatest joys of my life, one of the most overwhelming sense of great love that I ever experienced was, was with Amanda, and I think I've shared this over and over again, probably over the years and stuff like that, but was when we were first getting to know each other and all these things, and we're sharing stories and, and learning one another and getting to know each other, I still just vividly remember we were at a Longhorn somewhere in Lilburn or Snellville or something a long time ago. Before I knew what any of that stuff meant, I had no idea what Lilburn or Snellville was besides Amanda and this girl that I really liked lived there. And so, um, and then all of a sudden found out my parents, we would go to graveyards when I was a kid because it was like, hey, your old great uncle lives here. And my dad on vacations, he's going to watch this later. Sorry, dad. I loved every minute of it going <laughs> to, <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I just caught myself. I'm like, oh, just can, can we gonna delete this right after so he never sees it? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but he knows, I think. <laughs> If not, he definitely knows now. Um, but, you know, we would go, and, we, and one of them was in, I think, Stone Mountain area or something like that. But, but anyways, very much a side note that I should never have gone to. Um, but as we were getting to know each other, Amanda and I, and I remember vividly having this conversation, and it was basically just one of those conversations of like, hey, here's who I am, the ugly side of me and the good side of me, like, like all of me. Like, here is who I am. Am. It was just a very vulnerable conversation, talking about our past and all of our present, our future, our struggles, all those kind of things. And it was this moment of like, is she going to still want to stay or not stay? I mean, it wasn't like there was anything crazy all of a sudden in my past, but I, I know for some there probably are. If you've ever had that kind of conversation and you're saying, this is me, I hope you like it, and they stay. You know how overwhelming that is to your heart to know that someone loves you? even the not-so-lovable parts. See, this is what's so incredible about God. God knows you perfectly. He knows Grace when she's hiding in her room, doing something she shouldn't be doing. He sees it, and he's not just like, oh, ready to pounce. No, instead, that's why he sent his son. He sent his son because he wanted to offer grace and forgiveness and mercy. Listen, I would encourage you, I would implore you, have people in your life who are willing to expose you, to speak when they see areas of struggle and waywardness. Get in a community group. I can't plead you enough with that so that you can walk with other people. Have this kind of fellowship where you're bringing your, your problems and your, and your worries, your anxieties, your fears, your struggles with sin, and you're sharing those things so that they can help you and bring it to the light. Don't walk in the darkness. Walk in the light. See, this is the character of fellowship. And finally and thirdly is this, is the challenge, but also the beauty of fellowship. You see, these two are like tests that we see here. If you're saying we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. This is a test. Like, are you walking in sin? Are you living in sin? Are you practicing sin? Not like, this doesn't mean we're imperfect. What we're going to see is actually the opposite. We know we're imperfect. This is why we're in verse 9 to confess our sins. This isn't, he's not assuming like, hey, you, only the people who walk in the light are only the sinless ones. No. His point isn't that you walk in the light, that means you're perfect. No, as you're walking in the light, as you're sinning, you're going to confess those sins. You're going to own up to your mistakes, own up to your failures, and you're going to confess them. And these are like tests. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. It's pretty, pretty significant. He says, whoever says, I know him. There's our, another of our interchangeable words of fellowship and knowing and walking. 
Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. But how do we do this? Because here's the challenge. The challenge is there's sin. Bonhoeffer, I think, said this really well. He says, sin demands to have a man by himself. They want to be like my daughter. They want to be like myself, where I want to hide my sin. I want to not show my ugliness, or I want to continue to live in it, so I don't want it to be exposed because I like it too much. And Bonhoeffer, who's this amazing pastor and theologian uh, during the Nazi Germany uh, regime, eventually was, was killed. And sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated, he says, a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. One commentator said this way, if you don't have a good enough relationship with somebody that will walk into your life and correct you, you are an out-of-control train headed down the track, a wreck that's going to happen. Listen, if you're trying to do this on your own, you're going to fail. You need the community. You need other believers. You need to be walking in the light with other people. Listen, John is saying, man, let my joy be complete by what? What's the purpose? Why? What is it that we need to be doing to fulfill our joy? He's saying, be in fellowship with us. Join us in fellowship with the Father and the Son. But what breaks fellowship? What hinders relationship and knowing God and walking with God and fellowship with God. It's sin. Sin hardens. It hardens our heart. There was a study, you may have heard it by psychologists in the 60s, who they were testing to see the effects of what an electric shock would do on, on a dog. And so they had this fence and they put this, they, they electrified this fence. And so the, every so often they would shock the fence and Initially, the dog would, would, in this fence would jump and yelped when they hit the cage with a jolt of electricity. A few minutes later, they did it again, and so on. And each time, the dog responded a little bit less and a little bit less. Each shock, the first time, jumped crazy. The second time, jumped again crazy. Third time, a little bit less, a little bit less. And finally, eventually, after they kept trying this over a period of time, eventually, the dog stopped responding to the shock. didn't affect them anymore. So eventually, the researchers opened the door to the cage and shocked the dog again. You know what the dog did? The dog just stayed put. Didn't, didn't run out the cage, didn't go out the door, it just stayed put. Because he had become so numb to the point of complacency. You see, the researchers continued. They wanted to see what would happen if they put another dog in that cage with the gate open, but that dog has not ever been shocked before. It has not experienced any of these things before. So sure enough, they put this dog in there. And they continued the experiment by bringing in this other dog. And this time when they shocked, that dog jumped and yelped and ran right out the gate because it was wide open. He's like, get me out of here. But you know what the other dog did? The other dog that was complacent to the shock saw there was a better way out and followed the dog out the gate. Once was numbed to the effects of that electric shock with the help of another dog who was not numb in that area and it darts out, that dog now learned to follow along after that dog. 
You see, very much so like us. You know, we've been using that dog illustration. We're dogs, and it's okay to be a dog in this illustration too. But in this illustration, when you think about the effects of sin and how maybe over time your sin has become very much hard, your heart has become very hardened to sin. You're living in it, and all of a sudden, you know, you know, maybe what once you were convicted over, you're not even praying over anymore. You're not even confessing it. You're not asking God's help anymore. You've all, all of a sudden become so complacent to living in this sin that there's no effect on you anymore. Listen. When we're in fellowship with other believers, when you come and walk in the light, when you pursue other relationships, other Christ followers alongside, there's a mutual benefit. It's a mutual bond, koinonia, fellowship, that happens. And there's an effect with other people and the accountability and the help of other people to mutually move forward. I can't help but think of this in marriage. I feel like I'm a better person because of Amanda, like just, just because of her. Not that like we're saying like, oh, she's the super ultra perfect person. No, I mean, she's human like me and she has flaws and mistakes like me. But there's a, a mutuality when she's around. I want to be better. When we're together, I feel like we're better together. When I'm on my own, I can see my heart drifting. I can see where my heart drifts and where like maybe on my own, I wouldn't pursue like that. I think of our community group. I, I feel like it's something I long for is on Wednesday nights for the, the, the church body to gather together and to share their hearts and to, and to be mutually encouraged and to be like, man, I want to love God like this person loves God. Or when they said something, man, I never thought about it that way. I've been stuck in this problem for so long. But yet hearing how they responded and how they had applied God's word to their life, it mattered to me. See, this is the beauty of fellowship. The challenge is like it's difficult, it's messy, it's, it's ugly. And what is needed is confession and forgiveness. And that's what we see in our passage. It tells us in verse 9, if we confess our sins. What do we need to do to walk in the light? We confess. What is confession doing? It's bringing it to the light. It's owning it. It's saying, I agree with you, God, that I'm exposed. I've been living in sin. And maybe it was the help of another person in a community group. Maybe it was an accountability friend or a mentor that you meet with. And they exposed you like what happened for David. When David was living in sin, his friend comes to him and he exposes him. He uses a story about sheep that wrecks David's heart and he's angry. But then his friend looked him in the eyes had the confidence to say to the king of Israel, you're the man, David. You're the one who's taken advantage of another person's wife. He confronted him, he exposed him. And what did God use through that? We, get, we, would, we would never get Psalm 51. This cry of confession, of mercy, a cry of forgiveness and seeking God's forgiveness because of his own sin. You see, God used people God uses people to expose our sinful, wayward hearts. And what should it lead us to? It should lead us, in verse 9, to confess our sins. But listen, how can we be forgiven? How can we be forgiven? If I just confess my sins, can God just wipe the slate clean? Can He just forgive us? Well, And how does He forgive us? Look at this, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. What does it mean that He's faithful? Listen, he promised of old, I will wipe away your sins. Though your sins are like scarlet, they can be white as snow. I will do this. He's being faithful to what he said he would do. 
I will forgive you of your sins. So he's faithful. But what does it mean that he's just? He's faithful and just. What is the justice of God? It means sin's payment, sin's penalty has already been paid. The payment has been made by Jesus. And so picture it like this. Jesus is not the lawyer. You see, the Bible describes Satan as an accuser in that he's literally accusing you of sin. And he's trying to talk to the Father and say, look, Eric has screwed up. You need to punish him. You need to destroy him. He doesn't deserve it. And he's accusing you. And he might be accusing you. But what does Jesus do? Jesus is your advocate. He's like your defense lawyer. But he's not. He's more than a defense lawyer. He comes and he says, no, 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 no. Nope. You can't accuse Eric of this sin. You cannot hold him accountable. Why? Because my justice, I have paid the debt for Eric. I have done that. So he looks at the accuser and says, no, you can't hold Eric accountable for this because it's been already paid. So he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the beauty. It's hard It's messy. When you bring things to the light, it's not pretty. Churches are full of a lot of nice things and beautiful people and all this stuff, and everyone comes and they sing about God and look great. But if we could really expose all of our hearts, we would see how ugly and messy and hard and hurtful and painful they are. Listen, that's messy and ugly, and it's challenging to be in this, but that's what's needed for fellowship. It's walking in the light. Listen, if you are stuck in sin, step into the light. Confess. Find mercy. Find grace. Find, as it says here, forgiveness for all unrighteousness. But you might be still saying, like, how do I have this? You're saying, but you're saying, like, there's a relationship, a fellowship with God. How can I get this? How can I get it from facts in my head? to my heart. Is there something I need to be doing? Is there something that needs to be done? Ultimately, we find that this is a grace of God that He gives us a new heart. We've really been looking at this. We looked at it last week, from death to life. We've been talking about it even in the study of Mark. The heart is needed, a heart transplant. You need a new heart. But how do we cultivate facts about Jesus? Okay, He is this one that you're talking about, Eric. That's great. And I'm now learning these things or know these things. But how do I have a relationship with God? Like, I, I mean, my prayer life is like a list of prayer requests. It's like an ATM machine or something. You know, I'm putting in my requests and here's what I get out of it. Like, what does it look like to have a relationship? I want to encourage you with a couple things. One is, and you might be like, okay, Eric, don't give me the pat answer. Just read your Bible. But here's what I want you to do with reading your Bible. I don't want you to go this way. I, I, this has been something that I'm growing in even as of today is in this area, because sometimes I feel like I know a lot of facts about God, but my relationships can feel simple or not de- no depth sometimes. What I mean by this is don't just read your Bible to say, okay, well, what, what does this mean? What does that mean? What does this passage say? And what I need to, you know, like, and, and just focus on all of these things. I like how this was, was said is this. Someone said it this way. What is... Ask these kind of questions. What is this telling me about God so I can adore Him? 
What is, when I'm reading my Bible, what is this telling me about God so that I can worship Him, adore Him? What is this showing me about my own heart that I can repent of? What is God's Word teaching me so that I can turn from sin? What is this showing me about Jesus so I can thank Him for His beauty and His grace and His mercy and what He's done for me? You see, this is the art of meditation. The art of meditation is taking Scripture and praying it into your heart. It's praying God's Word. So don't just turn prayer into, okay, I've read my Bible, now I'm going to pray, I have my prayer list, and let me just pray over my, my list, and I'm going to pray for this, and pray for this person, this person who's sick, this person who's struggling, this dog, that dog, this person's cat, you know, all these things, and we just pray down this list. We say, Jesus' name, amen. That's not relationship. Like, if, if Amanda said, let's go on a date this week, and I'm like, all right, <laughs> Let's just, I just came with a bunch of things to request. All right, so what do you think we should do this week? Let's do this, let's do that. No, she wants me to talk about her heart. She wants to, what's going on? What have you been struggling with? What have you been going through? How can I better love you? What can I do to help? How can, how's it going with this? Where, where can I help? You're wanting to know this person to enjoy them. Listen, take your Bible reading to another level by asking these kind of questions, looking at God's Word to see who is this God. When we sing songs like we were singing earlier, let those get into your heart by thinking on them. Maybe it means don't sing the words and just meditate on the words. That's what I do on the front row sometimes. All of a sudden, it becomes really quiet in the room because I stopped yelling (laughs) and singing. All the band's like, what happened? There's no one singing because Eric's normally screaming from the front row. You know, but when sometimes it's just I'm overwhelmed by the thought, like this morning, that's what happened with me with Living Hope was, was man, the thought of that verse that this, how great a mercy, that God would be gracious to me and kind to me. Like, why would you do that, God? Why would you be so kind to me? I don't deserve your love. And it leads you to just worship. God, thank you. Where just all of a sudden, maybe you're in a car ride, you're listening to a song on the, on the radio as you're going to, to work or you're listening to a podcast or something and, and God just moves your heart. Or you're out at the beach and you just, the waves just keep coming in, the sound of the ocean, and all of a sudden it turns into a song in your heart that you're like, man, what God would create this beauty that I can enjoy? Man, God, you must be beautiful. And it makes, takes your thoughts to God, and then maybe it takes you to a verse, and then you just love this verse, and you think about this verse, and you pray this verse. You see, meditation is something that I think many of us miss out on, and that's why we're missing out on relationships. Relationship comes through deep thoughts about God. If you've ever had a relationship in that way, and you have, you're thinking about that person during the day, and you're like, man, I can't wait to see them, embrace them. I get overwhelmed sometimes where I'm like, I cannot wait to see my Savior. To not just see what He looks like, but to hear His audible voice. To see his eyes penetrate my eyes. Melt your heart. The thoughts of God. This is what brings us into fellowship. And my fear is that maybe many of us are far from God and we don't know it. We're, we're lying to ourselves. Because we, we know facts, but we don't know God. Listen, may you come to know him. You know him. How do we know God? We know him through his word. He has revealed himself to us. So if you're stale and you're like, I know, but like my Bible reading is like, it feels like so empty. Well, listen, it's going to be empty if you're bringing emptiness. Like if you're coming with like, all right, well, checklist, let me read my Bible and 
No, like mine it, not to be like mine it, like to like, all right, well, what, I wonder what this word means and what does that word mean? All right, don't come up with critical eyes. Come up with adoration, with like worship. Come up like, man, when I hear this, that these apostles actually touched Jesus, that they heard him with his, they heard him with their ears and they saw him with their eyes. This, this eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest, they're proclaiming him. They, they want their joy. How can I experience this kind of joy? Let me pray over that. God, would you give me a joy for you? And God, help me to have a fellowship with other believers. Help me to enjoy these things. Pray the God's word in your daily life and let God speak to you and let enjoy him. This is relationship. Man, I feel like I could spend a lot more time on it, and we'll probably do that at some point in 1 John. But if any takeaway is this, listen, you and I need God, and we need one another. So listen, we have um, something coming up. We're going to, I think this week is our last week. For, we'll be we'll taking a break from our community groups for a few weeks, and then we'll start up again uh, starting, I think, the week of September uh, 11th. And or September 10th is a Sunday, so September 10th that week, and we're beginning something called Rooted, and it's a 10-week um, experience that I'm going to send you an email about this week and some more that you can sign up for, and we'll have community groups that meet just for this purpose, to have fellowship with one another, to grow closer to God and to one another through time in the Word, time encouraging each other. It's going to be, I really believe, it can be a life-changing experience for you. Uh, it's something that I've gone through this summer with a couple other men, and it has really been something that I think has drawn each of us closer together that we're going through it, but also I feel like my, my relationship with God has grown immensely through this. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never been a part of a community group, never gotten into a group with other like-minded followers of Jesus, this would be a great time for you to jump in. It is coming up in a few weeks. And so you, I will be talking about that more over the next few weeks and uh, sign up as well for that. But let me pray as we close um, today's service and as the band comes for one last song together. Let me pray. Father, oh God, we are really humbled by your grace and your mercy to us. Thank you for the relationship that you bring, that we can love you because you first loved us, and we can know what love is by you laying down your life for us. Father, help us to walk in the light. You are in the, you are in the light. You are the light of the world. Help us to walk in you. Help us to pursue you. God, help us to know you more. Help us to, to dig into this great, wonderful book, Scripture, God, as we look at your word. Help, us to, help it to reveal. God, use the, your word to reveal in our hearts the areas of sin and struggle. God, give us a greater love for you and an adoration of you. God, melt our hearts. God, we come and all we can offer is our brokenness. God, I thank you that you offer life. You offer yourself. You offer relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. So God, may we come to you. May we come boldly. May we come humbly. But may we come to you and enjoy the fount of living water. Father, we love you. We thank you for these truths. And I pray that they'll captivate us and capture our hearts and lead us to greater affection and worship of you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.